0: Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, I'm very pleased to be joined today by David Herron, founder and CEO of The Quorum, a film research firm that is focused on demystifying film tracking and making it available to the public. Um, and I am excited to talk about film tracking because I'm a big nerd and I have never had access to this much tracking data uh, at the same time as, as when I got access to your website. But thank you for joining us,
1: David. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, so let's, let's talk, you guys have uh, a new report out. Let's talk about that first. What, what is it going to take to get folks back into, uh, the movie theaters? Uh, this report is called exhibition at a crossroads. We are certainly at a crossroads in terms of, you know, uh, folks who are nervous about getting back to the theaters, uh, and, and some folks who have come back. So when you, uh, when you were polling folks, what, what was the number one thing that, uh, people said that they were hesitant about, uh, when coming back to the theater?
1: Well, it's it, it's really sort of a, a a rich tapestry of things that are keeping people from going to the theaters, and a lot of these these things were issues that predate the pandemic, but have been um, highlighted now because of the pandemic. But the number one issue really is primarily safety. You know, I will tell you that that the impetus for the study was because I am what I, what we call a a reluctant film goer. So I started to go back to the movie theaters in June, July after I got vaxed. And, and the numbers were coming down. And then when the Delta variant came around in July, I stopped going. Uh, and there's a lot of people like me. So what we do is we identified people who previously went to the theaters before the pandemic and we asked them if they're going now and, and nearly half of them, 49% of them said that they're no longer going to the movies, but, but there's a difference between all of those 49%, right? They're not all sort of one group. They, we, we, we broke them into three different separate groups based on sort of their profile. Right. So I, like I said, I'm a reluctant and the reluctant are the ones who went back a little bit, but stopped going. And we are the ones who are going to be easiest to get back. Right. Cause we sort of dipped our toe in the water for uh, a period of time and we'll likely go back at some point. Then you've got the two other groups, which are going to be harder for theatrical to win back. And those are the hopefuls. These are people who have yet to go back to the theater at all uh, post pandemic, but they want to, right? They missed the theater and they are hopeful to return. And then you've got the people who went to the movies before, haven't been back since. And for whatever reason, they don't see themselves returning to theaters at all. We call those the likely loss. Now, I think it's important to note that the reason why these people say that they're not going to go back to the theater is not entirely because of COVID. A lot of it has to do with behavioral changes. And those behavioral changes arose out of the pandemic where suddenly you had feature quality films that were available to watch at home. And so this behavior has become more and more ingrained and you get to the point where you realize, well, wait a minute, I don't actually need to go to a theater to see a premium high quality movie. Uh, So those likely lost, there's a multitude of reasons why they don't see themselves going back. And I think what's important to note is that all three of those groups have different reasons for not going. And all three of those groups uh, are going to require a different strategy among exhibitions to win them back.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the the different uh, reasons for staying away. So I mean, obviously, number one, coronavirus. what 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 in your polling did you find uh, that the the people who were worried about safety uh, were most
1: interested in seeing at theaters to get them back well the the one thing that would really move the needle in terms of of winning back reluctance and hopefuls would be vaccine mandates, okay so, uh there are really, really three big issues. The two legacy issues are, one, price sensitivity, and a lot of that has to do with concessions as opposed to the movie itself. Mm-hmm. The other one is this idea that there's a low experiential value to going to the movies, meaning that it's not worth it for me to go because I don't have a terrific elevated experience by doing so. And a lot of that has to do with the quality of the seats, the quality of the in-theater experience, the number of commercials, people talking on their phone um, all of those, all of those things together create low experience. So those two, those are legacy issues. And then you throw on this idea of, as, as one of my partners on the study, Linda Ong said that for some people, it's almost like a life and death decision to go to the movies. Am I willing to risk my health to go mm-hmm. by a t- to see a movie and sit in a theater with a bunch of strangers in a dark room? Mm-hmm. And, and that's really for many people, that's, that's what sort of their thought process. And I think I think that plays out the most when you
0: look at the uh, breakdown by age group. I mean, this is this is what I have seen in every poll I've looked at about movie going is that there is a there's an age threshold above which the numbers fall off a cliff. Yes. Um, And that is I mean, it tracks with how coronavirus works and, and who is impacted the most by it. Do you think that there is a generation that is simply lost to the movie theaters that is probably not coming back? In,
1: that, in in the numbers they used to? It seems like uh, yeah, there's definitely a scale, right? The older you go, the less likely are these people to return. But really, instead of, instead of viewing it in terms of age, really what we see is that people of color are less likely to go back. Basically, the way to think about it is the reverse. Who is going? So the people that are going mm-hmm. are men, white men, for the most part, between the ages of 25 to 45. And once you get outside of that demographic, attendance starts to wane. We looked at income levels, so lower income people are more reluctant to go back. I shouldn't even say reluctant because they're not part of the reluctant group. They're more in the likely loss group. Mm-hmm. Um, so the older you get, the the less white you get, and the more female you get, the harder it is to win them back. Those are the people who are staying away the most. Uh, when you when you're looking at the lower
0: income groups, is it is it simply a function of competition with Netflix, Hulu, et cetera? Is it is it the the encroachment of streaming into you know precious entertainment dollars, or uh, or something else? I mean, is it is it concerns about you know losing work? I, I'm, where is the where is that hesitance coming from? If you have any idea,
1: well, the hesitance is really coming from the idea that uh, uh, among those groups we're seeing the the most price sensitivity, right? And you have to realize that to go to a movie is going to cost you, you know, $11, $12 on average. Certainly that's not mm-hmm. the price in Los Angeles and New York. Sure. Uh, to go to the, t- to go to, to buy a ticket, you're going to have to pay all of those concessions or you could watch a movie as part of your streaming subscription at home, which costs you maybe nine or $10 a month, but then your whole entire family can watch it with you. Right, so that's really where the monetary value proposition comes in, especially for people at the lower income levels. So that's that's really, you know, I think what 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 exhibition is facing at the moment is a bifurcated issue. Right, they've got a problem with with price sensitivity among lower income people, who for the most part, our study shows all that they want to address their price sensitivities to see lower prices for concessions and this and Mm -hmm. popcorn and soda. And then you've got people who are a little bit higher on the income level, who want a higher experiential value. And for them, that means having more gourmet food and having local favorites. You know, if I go to, I'm from Philadelphia, right? If I go to a baseball game in Philadelphia, I can go buy a cheesesteak, mm-hmm. right? If I'm in Baltimore, I could probably get crab cakes. You know, yep. So having local food, elevated food at the theater is going to entice some people back at higher income levels. So exhibition really needs to think about what is it that's going to win back people that have extreme price sensitivity that might be at the lower income levels, and also what's going to win back people who are willing to pay a premium for a higher experience um, movie-going experience as a whole. Mm. That's that's a real that's a that's a tough that's a tough balancing act for for exhibitions to walk.
0: Well, it's it's interesting too. It reminds me a little bit of the airline industry, right? Where you have you have your first class and business class customers that kind of subsidize in part the rest of the flying class, I guess. Is there is there any talk in the in the industry, in the exhibition industry or, or distribution industry that you've heard of about kind of trying to price tiers or tr- is, uh, charging? I know one thing economists are always talking about with, with regard to movie tickets is why are we charging the same price for a ticket to Spider-Man No Way Home as we are to Come On, Come On? Like why? Why is this happening? Um, is there is there any? Do you think there is any movement on changing the prices of movie tickets depending on what is being shown?
1: Well, so this idea of dynamic pricing has been around for uh, for several years now. Uh, it's never really taken hold. You know, I think there's there's certainly smaller exhibition houses which are playing with this idea of bundling prices together. So for whatever it is, $20, $20, you get a ticket and you get unlimited concessions. Mm-hmm. And a lot has been written about that. And that seems to be stumbling, right? That's not really winning people back. I think what's sort of what's sort of interesting is the approach that some of the larger theater chains have taken of late. You, know, you look like AMC, right? So AMC announced this week that they're going to sell or give away NFTs for people who buy tickets to Spider-Man, right? Well- who is that really appealing to? Right, <laughs> that's not yeah. that's not something that's going to win back the likely loss or the hopeless yeah. so If anything, all it does is appeal to the people who are already going to the movies anyway. Yeah, that is
0: a that is a white male between the age of eighteen and forty four uh, <laughs> exactly. promotion.
1: And you know, they they announced that AMC announced that they're going to uh, move into. Sort of packaged goods and making their popcorn available through kiosks in malls around the country. And I, I, and I think that you kind of have to applaud them a little bit for thinking about other revenue streams. But none of these are really addressing the core issues of getting people back to the theater right? Mm -hmm. It's a way for them to increase revenue on their end, but doing it through ancillary means as opposed to their, their core business value.
0: Mm. Uh, let's talk about the, the actual experience because I, I know, look, I live in, I live in Dallas, which is a relatively big city. It's got, we've got nice theaters. We've got less nice theaters, but you know, when I go to a theater, I have a nice, big plush chair that I have reserved seating for. The concession stands are, are, are nice and clean. The, the screens, we can talk about screen quality some other time, but you know, it's hit or miss. But the, but when I, I, when I talk to folks who don't live in a city, I often get images of, you know, really rundown auditoriums, you know, theaters that do not look like, they don't look like multiplexes of 15 years ago, let alone, you know, the movie palaces of old. How are exhibitors, trying to fix that problem, if they are? And are, I mean, is it even on their radar? It feels like this is a thing that should be like problem number one for them.
1: Well, you would think, but, you know, theaters are really in survival mode and I think we need to be cognizant of that and be uh, empathetic to that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it really took an enormous hit over the past year sure. and a half. So this idea of investing in infrastructure it is perhaps easier for and the AMCs of the world and a little bit harder for some of the smaller mom-and-pops who are uh, the smaller circuits to do. So, no, it doesn't appear as though they're really doing that. But our research shows that that's exactly what most of the former film goers want to see, which is they want to see – one, they want to see seats further apart. They want to see upgraded seats. They want to see that whole experience enhanced. One of the things that we saw that was really interesting was people said that they would love the opportunity to be able to order food and drinks – right from their seats. Mm-hmm. So there are very tangible things that come out of this study that exhibition can do. The question is, will they listen to it? Will they be willing to invest in those things? And that really remains to be seen. I think, you know, for, for those of us who live in Los Angeles, there was this kind of existential crisis we went through when, when the Arc Light theaters closed down. Sure, sure. And the reason that all of us took it so hard is because that was that was sort of the height of the film going experience for for real film connoisseurs in Los Angeles, right? You didn't have commercials, you had uh, you had elevated snacks. There was a bar in a theater. The seats were uh, very comfortable. You had an usher who would come out and introduce the movie, and that's that's the kind of experience that real cinephiles really appreciate in a in a, a movie going experience. And then when they shut down, there was a lot of people in Los Angeles who simply said. I, I may not I may not even go back to a theater. You can't go to a regular circuit chain after you've already had the Arc Light experience. Sure. So that's sure. well. Yeah. I mean,
0: we we had the there was a very similar thing here in Dallas. I mean, the the our local draft houses were yeah. closed well past when the, the AMC is open, And it was just like, okay, this is not this is not as nice. I mean AMC is great. I like going to the AMC fine. But it's just like I, I like to be able to have somebody come to my table, like you say. Uh, and take take orders. What was the most surprising thing you found in your polling? What was the thing that you weren't expecting uh, to to learn when you asked uh, folks
1: uh, what what's keeping them away from theaters? And you did. Well, I'm not necessarily surprised by it, but but one of the things that I was most curious about. There were two things that I was I was very curious about. One was we asked people a number of questions about the theater going experience as it exists right now. And one of the questions we asked is how valuable is it to, this didn't make it into the final study, but how valuable is it to have represent, representation on the screen? So to see people that look like you on the big screen, and is that a driver of getting you to go buy tickets? And that one actually scored relatively low among all of the options that were available. And you know, and we, we, we pulled this kind of on the heels of the enormous success of Shang-Chi, And, you know, it felt like that was a movie which really sort of spoke to representation and really, you know, drove ticket sales. So I think we were surprised to see that that came in really very low, but it's also, I think one of those metrics that maybe isn't on the forefront of everyone's mind. And, you know, our plan is to to field the study every quarter, especially during this highly dynamic period. And I think for that particular question about representation, you know, we now have a baseline. And and, and I think we're going to see if that changes over time um, as we start to see more diversity on the screen. I was surprised by that. The other thing that I was surprised by was, or more curious about, was this idea of vaccine mandates. Because for a lot of people, a vaccine mandate would get them to go back to the theater, for sure. At the same time, uh, we saw that there were some people who said, a vaccine mandate would be an overreach, and I would actually go less less frequently if they required it. Now, the good news is that across the board, it was a net positive for the for uh, for the theaters. That about on a two to one ratio, uh, more people would go than people who'd say no. It's an infringement. I won't go at all. Which is good, by the way. Yeah, it's well, it's interesting, too, because that's the sort of thing that
0: you can implement region by region that doesn't that that's not a a policy that you necessarily need to put in place nationwide. I mean, New York audiences and L.A. audiences, I think, are a little bit different than Dallas audiences. I can say that for sure. I mean, I, I do. I, I wonder this is a thing I'd, I'd been thinking about when the pandemic was really going on was, you know, when these chains are announcing national policies that. It, it, big country. It's a big country with a lot of people and a lot of different opinions. Um, one thing we haven't really discussed in, in regards to all this is the the actual movies themselves and the release strategies. So I, I mean, the thing I the thing I wonder the most is how much of the movie going experience was simply uh, and purely forced scarcity. You know, the, the windowing effect. You know, going only being able to see something in a theater as opposed to a day and date release, or a release in theaters, and then 30 days later, it's on VOD. Right. Um, how is that? How is that impacting movie going?
1: Well, I can tell you that I, you know, I, I as an advocate for theatrical, um, I'm thrilled that we are now approaching the end of the year, and The Matrix is going to be the final of the Warner Brothers movies <laughs> <laughs> that is going to get this day and date release. Like that's over. Thank God that's over. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's a big part of it. There's a big part of it. It used to be that. Um, as you know, you 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 had no idea when you were going to be able to see a movie when um, in its ancillary runs, right? The consumers consumers were not sort of savvy to windowing, right? You, like at some point, it's going to show up on my TV or on my HBO or or pay cable or my streamer, but I don't really know when, right? Now people are becoming more savvy to it, and and by the way, the studios are marketing their movies that way. Right. Mm -hmm. So every single piece of key art for Warner Brothers title says available in theaters and available on HBO Max for the first 30 days. Right. So they're they're sort of creating this behavior on their own, which ultimately may hurt them down the road. Uh, So I think that's a really big part of it. And now I, I think consumers are getting used to the idea that, you know what? maybe there is no need to have the sense of urgency about going to see it in a theater because I may not know exactly when, but I know that at some point it's going to show up at home and it'll be much sooner than it was in the past. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's, that's a big part of it. I think what's going to be interesting to see is, um, you know, my hope is that day and date either goes away completely or it starts to wind down. Um, And, you know, during this, this nine-month or 12-month period where theaters sort of reopen, I think for someone who's who who plays in the data space, it's really hard for us to assess behaviors because we don't know what's going to be ingrained yet and we don't know what isn't ingrained. We don't know how easy it is to win back some of these former filmgoers because the rules keep changing, right? And so once things start to settle down and we get into some sort of normal cadence of films are not going to be available, available in theatrical, they're going to be available for – uh, 18 days or 30 days or, d- or 45 days. And once we reach some level of normalcy, then we'll begin to understand a little bit more about consumer attitudes. We'll be able to interpret the box office better. We'll be able to interpret performance better. You know, one of the things that I wrote about, sort of going off on a tangent a little bit, is is trying to figure out how much of an impact HBO Max had on the theatrical box office courses for King Richard. right? So you had King Richard and Gucci, which opened a week apart from each other. They were really targeting the same exact audiences. right? They're both dramas about real life families. I mean, there are a lot of similarities similarities between these movies. And Star Driven, um, one of them got a day and date release. One of them got a theatrical release over five days. And Gucci opened to about 14 million over the three days, and King Richard opened to five. So, is the mm-hmm. delta between those two? Can we say that that the HBO Max really accounted for the difference between those? Well, not entirely. That assumes that King Richard would have performed exactly the same as Gucci would have had they had it been strictly theatrical. But those are some of the questions that we're trying to get at. In you know, are we being fair in saying that a 5.4 opening for King Richard is poor? Or maybe that's not so bad. Maybe if it was theatrical only, it would have performed like Gucci. Those things are really difficult for us to to sort of suss out. And the hope is that if we can reach some sort of normalcy in 2022 in terms of distribution and rollouts, then we can kind of evaluate the performance a little bit better.
0: Well, I, as somebody who plays in the data space a lot, I mean, I uh, aren't we also don't, don't we also have to consider how uh, King Richard did for HBO Max in terms of driving subs? I mean, that that they they seem to be looking at an entirely different thing than you know I, somebody who like goes to Box Office Mojo three times a week, is looking at in terms of
1: like you know what their bottom line is. For sure, absolutely, and that's the reason that they're doing it. But the problem is that we don't really – I don't have access to that data, right? Right, right. It's a black box. It's a black box. And so you and I and all of us us data wonks in the film space have been spoiled for decades because we could go to Box Office Mojo and see Box Office data for all the movies we wanted, right? So on Saturday morning, I could tell what a movie was going to open to over the whole weekend, right? Now, I only have half the data for a movie like King Richard. And the part that's missing is really the part that's going to tell me whether or not this movie was a success or not, right? So we we right. bashed the performance of In the Heights, but for all for all we know, it could have been an enormous driver of subscriptions for HBO. Right. There's no way for us right. to evaluate these movies.
0: Yeah, it it's tough. It's tough, I, and this is one reason why I really like uh, thequorum.com. dot uh, com. I want I want to plug your website if you if you are you are if you're a fan of movie data, you got to go check out thequorum.com. dot com. And I, it's interesting that you mentioned the Matrix Resurrections because again, as I was as I was looking through your data, it's one of the few movies on here that, despite being available on HBO Max and in theaters at the same time, has a higher percentage of people interested in seeing it in theaters as opposed to home. Yeah. Which is which Uh, is very interesting to me.
1: So it's funny. I did I did a a little study at the beginning of the year when Warners announced this policy for their 2021 slate. Never did anything with this study. It was just sort of FYI for me only. And, And I asked people of all of the 12 or 13 Warner Brothers movies that were scheduled to open in 2021, which ones would they want to see in a theater and which ones would they want to see at home? And by far, The Matrix scored highest for in-theater viewership. And at the time, I thought, well, I'm sure that Warners must be looking at the same data somewhere, right? And I thought that somewhere along the way, they might say, well, you know, vaccines have kicked in and theater is becoming a bit more robust. And maybe we'll we'll, we'll sort of sunset this policy and let Matrix just go full theatrical, (laughs) right? Uh, Because it does appear as though they're certainly going to leave some money on the table with The Matrix... At least in terms of box office, but that that, sure. did not, that did not happen. So it'll be interesting. It seems like at the high end for Warner Brothers movies, you've kind of got you know Dune, which has got the same level of spectacle, and so you know if if which I think just Dune just crossed hundred million domestically. So does that yep. mean that the Matrix is that like sort of the ceiling for a Warner Brothers spectacle film that's being released day and date? You know, maybe. Had it been theatrical only, you know, it feels like The Matrix could have gotten to 150, 175, 200, you know, who knows. But yeah, but yeah I, I think that there's, there's there's a lost opportunity with The Matrix. And it would be surprising, but not surprising if Warner Brothers said, you know what, we're just going to do this one theatrical only. <laughs> yeah.
0: A uh, previous guest on the show, uh, James Shapiro, people, folks, listeners will remember, ha- was making the same argument to me. He was like, they're going to they're going to, you know, maybe they'll just do a, a like a one week exclusive or something and say, if you're a subscriber, to HBO Max will give you tickets. You can go see it. But I, I, I was very skeptical of this gypsy because I think, well, it doesn't really matter what I think that what's interesting is that, as you say, they're not doing it. And it is it is again, it's one of the handful of movies that people are most interested, more interested in seeing uh in theaters and in homes i think spider-man no way home uh is another one and that might have been it if i if i remember correctly on things that have yet to be released let's talk about your tracking sorry i'm rambling here i'm rambling here because i'm so excited uh let's let's talk about your tracking because i uh i'm curious about the methodology yeah um could you fill uh listeners in on what you guys are tracking um the the four categories of of things here and sure
1: well, and so, who and so, you are
0: tracking it with.
1: That's Those are the two things. So I'll start with the methodology. The methodology is we go out and we pull over 2,000 people each week. And this is general public. We control so that we have a nice balance of you know men and women. Uh, we control so that we have a nice balance of age breaks. And we ask them a series of questions which are, are kind of getting at four things. And by the way, we're only asking about movies that have yet to be released. Once Once they're released, we stop tracking them. Mm-hmm. So this is really, this is really in some ways, the measurement of, of the success of a film's marketing campaign. And we measure four things. Awareness, you know, do people know that this movie exists? And, and I consider that to be the gateway metric, because if you're not aware of a movie, how can you be interested in seeing it, right? You right. first have to know about it. Right. So awareness is always the first place that we start any conversation about film tracking. And then we move on to interest. Are you interested in seeing this movie? The, the third metric we look at is... Uh, location, where do you want to watch this movie? Will you go, do you want to see it in a theater or would you only watch it at home? Um, and then the fourth metric is, would you be willing to pay to watch this movie uh, or would you only watch it if it's for free? Now, the last two metrics are really the are are the newest ones in the world of film tracking. Legacy film tracking primarily only got at awareness and interest, but even predating the pandemic with the rise of Netflix and 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 them sort of moving into the future space this idea of being able to watch a movie at home became something that was important for the studios to know, but tracking wasn't measuring that. So when, when I created the quorum, I wanted to, it was really important to me that we really understand where people want to watch this movie as a key metric in understanding, um, audience behaviors. And then the fourth metric, whether or not you're you're going to pay for this kind of dovetails with the previous one. Um, you know, if it's it, it, it's kind of a heat metric, right? If you if you're willing to pay for it, that means that you're most likely gonna go. And so what we're really looking at is the interplay of those four metrics. Now, this this film tracking data has been around for decades, and for people who aren't familiar with it, it's it's really been behind a walled garden, right? The studios don't want anyone to see it. Now, I I, I spent 20 years at a talent agency, uh, so I had access to this data. Um, but when I launched the quorum last year, one, I wanted to reinvent tracking because it wasn't really addressing the behaviors um, pre-pandemic that were heightened because of the pandemic. And also, I wanted to make it available to people who like love going on Box Office Mojo and, and people who go to Comic-Con, are into cosplay and go on Reddit and people who make box office forecasts with their friends. Because... Ultimately, the stat is fun, right? It's it's fun. You've got a movie that you really love, and, and it's it's fun to root for a movie, and you're excited about Matrix, and you want to see, ah, oh, there's awareness numbers. Are they going up? Did they go up this week? Are people as excited about seeing this movie as I am? And that's really what I wanted to bring to sort of movie geeks like me.
0: Yeah, I, again, uh, thequorum.com, go check it. There's a, there's a big just sheet of data right on the front. And there's also a nice little comparison tool too. I like, I like that as well. It's, it's really handy for, uh, if you're trying to figure out how something will perform compared to previous releases. Again, I was just, I was looking at Spider-Man No Way Home, comparing it to uh, like
1: Black Widow and Venom and stuff. I was like, oh, this is, this is doing better than all of those. We, I mean, so Spider-Man is certainly making a case to be the biggest movie of the year. I think that, you know, in terms of the interpretation of the data, there's a debate among um, data wonks in the movie space about when does when does this pandemic era begin is it fair to compare a movie that's opening today to a movie that opened in march when only 50 of the theaters were open and vaccines were just beginning to roll out like what is what is the launch date of the new pandemic box office era is it when is it memorial day when a quiet place opened is it july when black widow opened but if it's july then you're not getting a quiet place and you're not getting f9 is it when Shang-Chi opened? Because Shang-Chi was really the landmark film that went theatrical only. So we're, we're still trying to create the rules for the new box office world. So I, I only mention this because if you compare a movie that opened last week to a movie that opened nine months ago on the quorum, you, you, there might be some distortion of it. Over time, the data will, you know as we reach this level of normalcy, the ability to draw comps will, um, will only be enhanced
0: yeah uh, like I said, fascinating stuff uh, if you're if you're into to movie data, go check it out. I demand it um, <laughs> of all my listeners. Uh, well, I, that's that's everything I wanted to ask. I always like to close uh, these interviews by asking if there's anything I should have asked if there's anything you wanted to uh, tell folks about your study or about your site in general, like the state of the movie industry, what if
1: the floor is open? Well, first of all i'm I'm optimistic about theatrical. and I think that there are a lot there's a lot of doom and gloom out there about it. But I, I'm optimistic about it, and I do think that some people may be lost forever, but that doesn't necessarily mean that theatrical is going to go away. Um, I will also say that the one movie that I'm really most curious to to see how it does is West Side Story, because mm. West Side Story is, is one of those movies that its success will be decided by whether or not a lot of these former filmgoers go back. Like they need, they need these former film, they're appealing to these former film goers. This is a movie that needs to draw women. Uh, It's an, it's a movie that needs to draw uh, a non-white audience. And so to me, that's going to be a real bellwether movie over the next few weeks. And if that movie doesn't do well, then that's going to be the first sign that it's going to be hard to get some of these people back. You know, obviously we've got to keep an eye on, on this new variant and whether or not that reverses this tremendous momentum that theatrical has had and you know so I, you know I, I said before that we're going to be doing this longitudinally we're going to do the study again in, in in 3 months we may do it sooner if it turns out this new new variant is really impactful and we start to see box office grosses go down but ultimately the the raison d'etre for the study was to help exhibition navigate these waters because we we all we all wanted to succeed i think that's sort of an important message to get out there yeah.
0: I, it's, it. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I usually, that is usually how I close it, but I do want to ask one more thing because I, I you, you brought it up and it, 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 jumped out to me in your, in your polling as well. Women have been less likely to go back. And I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, what is it, is it, is it just because women are more, more health conscious? Is it, what do you think the, the, I mean, the, the male, again, the male 18 to 44 death drive is very, is very strong. Well, so, I, I, you, you just know, I answered and, it right there.
1: <laughs> um Yeah. I mean, it certainly, it certainly feels like, listen, I, I I don't know if the data affords me the opportunity to make a blanket statement about men versus women, but it does, it it does sort of suggest that women are feeling much more trepidation about their health and about COVID and their safety than men. Men appear to be in the study much more cavalier about it. Um, But I will also say that, you know, most of the movies over the past six months have really been for a male audience, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at Bond, if you look at Venom, if you, it, it's been a lot of DC movies, uh, Marvel movies. Um, really, we haven't had a lot of movies that cater to women yet. So Richard was the first one. Gucci was sort of the second one. Now we're starting to get them as we get into the holiday season, which is why, mm-hmm. it's, you know, I'm so fascinated with West Side Story. And I think, so there has been a tremendous opportunity for women to really go out to the theater just yet. So I am really curious to see what the next three months hold um, in terms of audience composition. And if women will feel safe enough to go back to the theater. I'm also really interested to see if some of these, uh, to see how the vaccine mandates in Los Angeles will impact the box office. And if, if other cities and municipalities pick up on it. Uh, I, I think the next three months are going to be a really dynamic period for theatrical. It's going to be it's going to be fun to watch for sure.
0: Great. Uh, well, David Heron, uh, thank you once again. Uh, the site is the Go check it out. It's really interesting. Um, and uh, I will be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. I'll see you guys then.